who here has shopped at the Kroger in Prospect recently, like this past week? Okay. Should we talk about it? Do, do we want to talk about it? I mean, I mean, all of Prospect is talking about it. Let, let's talk about it. At the Kroger and Prospect, they have recently removed several of those tiny little self-checkout kiosks and have instead replaced them with these long self-checkout kiosks that have the conveyor belt. So, so, so imagine, imagine like a, a regular checkout lane unmanned, not staffed. Okay, that, that's what they replaced them with. So now you, now you get to... You get to scan all your items. You get to place them on a little conveyor belt that goes all the way down. And then you're done scanning your items. You walk all the way down. You bag your items, and then you go. Has anyone tried it yet? OK, yes, I see those hands. I see those hands. Okay. I actually went to Kroger twice in one day just to try it. <laughs> just to see what it was like. I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. This is interesting. And I got to say, I felt like. Kroger should have paid me <laughs> like I was an employee. Now, now uh, time will tell whether this is a good change that they've incorporated or whether it's a bad change. But one thing is for certain, and that is what they've done is disruptive. It's, it's very disruptive. They... By their actions, by this disruptive action, they have created a new pattern, a new way for customers to go about shopping. Well, as, as Christians, the Bible teaches that we all personally have experienced a disruption, a divine disruption. This, I want to suggest, is what Paul is getting at in Ephesians chapter 2. I mean, there's, there's probably no better way to describe it than a divine disruption. Because what do we learn in Ephesians chapter 2? In Ephesians chapter 2, we learn that prior to God saving us, we lived in the passions of our flesh. We carried out the desires of our body and mind. We were by nature, Paul says, children of wrath. We were hell-bound living for ourselves. But what do we read? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were sinners, Paul says, he made us alive together with Christ. Amen? F far greater then a rearrangement at our local grocery store, God has brought us as Christians from death to life. And what Paul has been arguing in Ephesians chapter 5 is that as those who have been redeemed, as those who have been divinely disrupted, have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, Paul has been arguing in Ephesians 5 that we have now been given a new pattern for living, a new way to walk. And what is that pattern? Well, as Paul has made clear 
in chapter 5, verse 1, we could summarize it this way, and that is, don't be yourself, imitate God. This, this new way of living that all Christians are called to is to imitate God. As we talked about last week, Christianity isn't a life of self-actualization. No, Christianity is self-crucifixion. We die to ourselves and we live for Christ. Indeed, as God's children, we are to imitate God. And as we learned last week, one of the ways we are called to imitate God is by walking in love. We are to love others the way Christ has sacrificially loved us. Don't be yourself. Don't don't pursue self-actualization. Don't look inward. No, don't be yourself. You, Christian, you imitate God. You make it your aim to imitate God. And the first way that Paul spells out in Ephesians 5 is we imitate God by walking in love. But that's not all. In our text this morning, Paul actually marks an additional way in which we are to imitate God. And what is that way? Well, if you haven't already, please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. That's page 978 in that paperback Bible. And this morning, we're going to be looking at chapter 5, verses 3 through 14. And I want you, your, your ears to be primed and your, and your eyes to be, be on the lookout for this additional way that we are called to imitate God. Paul writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead... Let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Why? For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good, and right and true and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of 
darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Amen. This is God's good word. I have a big, clear, plastic box at my home that has dozens, dozens of light bulbs in it. But you know what? Stored in one of our cabinets, the bulbs in that box give off no light. Now why? I mean, I have a box full of light bulbs. Why doesn't that box just radiate with beams and beams and gallons. I can't be gallons, but lots of light. Right? Well, why doesn't that box give off tons of light? This is, this is not a hard question, right? It's because there in the box, none of the bulbs are connected to an energy source, are they? Right? Now, don't push the analogy too far. Okay. But I want you to see that Paul makes an important distinction in verse 8. Have your eyes fall there. Notice, Christians are not light in and of themselves, are they? No, what does Paul write? He says, Christians are light in the Lord. That is, it is through our union with Christ that we are light. Just like a light bulb doesn't give off light in and of itself, but rather needs to be connected to a power source, so too we do not shine as lights in and of ourselves, but Christians, we are light because we are connected to the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, by faith. Amen? And what, what you see, what I want you to see here is this is the second way in which we are to imitate God, and that is by walking in light. Look again at verse 8. Notice, Paul does not say you were walking in darkness, does he? Rather, he says you once were darkness. That's bad. <laughs> but now through saving, the saving grace of Jesus Christ... You Christian, please hear me, you Christian, you are light in the Lord. So Paul says, walk as children of light. But what does that mean? What does it look like to walk in light? Well, Paul shows us. And I want to say up front that if we are going to take God's commands seriously, if we're going to not be ourselves but imitate God, imitate God by walking in love and imitate God by walking in light, 
it's going to require, please hear me, intentional effort. Uh, every one of us, myself included, if we're going to apply this, we're going to have to make intentional changes in our lives. And I just want to invite you at the outset here to welcome such changes. So let's begin. Notice, the first action we must take to walk in light is to first, we need to renounce sinful practices. Look again at verses 3 and 4. So in verse 2, Paul talks about how we're to walk in love as beloved children. Here we're to walk in light as children of God as well. And now he says this in verse 3. He says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place but instead let there be thanksgiving. On August 10th, 2008 a large explosion occurred at Sunrise Propane Industrial Gases in the Downsview neighborhood of Toronto, Canada. This actually set off a series of explosions and then an ensuing fire. And as a result of the explosion, there was asbestos in the air. Officials quickly sought to assure the residents that although there was asbestos and that it was a problem, the levels of asbestos in the air were safe. You know how the residents responded? They pushed back and they rhetorically asked, tell us, officials, what levels of asbestos would you consider safe? You know why they asked that question? Because you know what the answer is? Guess. None. There is no such thing as a good level of asbestos. If you're breathing asbestos, it's not a good thing. Christian, you know how much sexual immorality, impurity, and greed is safe for your soul? None. Indeed, as Paul says in some of your translations, there should not even be a hint. For even a little bit of sexual immorality is like a bestus to the soul. Even a little bit of greed is completely out of place for a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. As several commentators have pointed out in verses 3 and 4, Paul lists six sins that ought to be, please hear me, eliminated from the Christian's life. These sins must not even be named among Christians. For notice, Paul says, for they're not proper for saints and they're out of place for followers of Jesus. 
And the first sin that he mentions that we are to eliminate is sexual immorality. Any sexual activity outside of marriage is sin. And, and when, I, when I say marriage, I mean what the Bible means when it says marriage. God defines marriage as a lifelong covenant relationship between a biological man and a biological woman. Now please notice, Paul does not say that sex should not be named among you. No, he says that sexual immorality and impurity should not be named among you. Sex is a good gift from God that is to be received with thankfulness in marriage. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody says. It is. But please listen to me. Any sexual activity, and I'm using the word activity on purpose, outside of marriage, such as fornication, adultery, and homosexuality, is sin, and such sins have no place among God's people. Second, we're to eliminate impurity. Now, this is closely related to sexual immorality. Indeed, you'll find, especially in Paul's writings, the two of these often listed together. Impurity would encompass viewing pornography, reading erotic novels, going to strip clubs, or engaging in any lewd behavior or speech. It also would include sexual lust in the heart. Third, we are to eliminate covetousness or greed. Now, you're going to be able to see here in a moment how the two how this first two, sexual morality, impurity, and covetousness are linked together. Because it, honestly, they, the first two all stem from a covetous heart. But greed or covetousness, we could say this, is an unrestrained desire for more. Be it money, food, clothes, someone else's body, or anything else. Covetousness, greed, it is, it is a lack of contentment. And I want to just pause here for a moment, and as we're, we're talking about these things, especially covetousness, I want to invite you to, to consider, is this, is this true of you? Ask yourself, are you always wanting something? Be it clothes, shoes, a certain car, a certain home. Faith, covetousness is sin. It ought to be eliminated from our lives. Yet I wonder if instead of putting it to death, we are actually perhaps even unknowingly, cultivating covetousness in our hearts. 
Let me give you an example. I would invite you to consider, just to consider, if your primary way to entertain yourself is to go shopping, not for something you legitimately need, but you, you just go to stores to see what there's out there and what you might like, I just want to suggest that if that's your primary way to entertain yourself, you don't need anything, but you're just going to see what's out there that you might like, I would invite you to consider that you might be contributing to covetousness in your heart and fostering discontentment. Or if in your spare moments, you frequently look for things to purchase. Again, not something you legitimately need, but just, you know, I just got free time. I'm just going to see what's the newest trends. I would ask you to consider that such habits could be I'm using my words carefully, could be stoking the fires of covetousness in your heart. Indeed, ask yourself, what are you, what are you looking at on social media? You know, what, what am I viewing on Instagram? Am I setting before my eyes things I really want but can't have? Am I getting a diet of that daily? Now, I am not saying that spending time on Instagram or shopping is sinful. But you know what? They could be. Especially if they're cultivating covetousness and discontentment in your heart. So here's an idea. What if you replaced just half the time half the time you go shopping or half the time you spend on social media with meaningful study of God's word. Think of how much farther you would be in your spiritual maturity. But not only that, think of how, more, how much more content you would be. The next three sins Paul mentions are in verse 4 in their filthiness, foolish talk, and crude joking. Now, if we've been reading Ephesians carefully, then we should notice that this is the fourth time in just 22 verses that Paul has addressed our speech. Faith, please hear me. A significant part of what it means to imitate God is that we speak words of life, not death. We build up, not tear down. We tell the truth, not lies. We speak words of grace, not corrupting talk. And now here, Paul makes it clear, there's to be no filthiness coming out of our mouths. Let me give you an example of what that might be. I would humbly challenge us all that there is a common phrase today that Christians should not say. You know what the phrase is? It's, let's go, Brandon. Unless you have a son named Brandon, 
who is actively participating in a sport and you're there on the sidelines cheering him on, you shouldn't be saying that phrase. Because outside of cheering on your son named Brandon, that phrase has a vulgar, filthy meaning. And if we are taking the Apostles Paul's words seriously, then there shouldn't even be a hint of such vulgarity among God's people. Yet I want you to see that Paul's command in verse 4 goes beyond simply our speech. Have your eyes fall there once more. I'm going to suggest to you it actually reaches out to what we find funny. Because notice he says there's to be no coarse or crude joking. Now here's the thing about coarse joking. You can engage in this sinful activity in two ways. One is by telling the joke. The second is by laughing and going along with it. I mean, let us please, let us, let us not be, I, just, I say this as gently as possible, let us not be so willfully ignorant to think that Paul prohibits us from telling a, telling a crude joke but you know what? He's okay with us listening to one and laughing along and going along with it. Notice how frequently he says this in these verses. He wants us to have no participation in such perverse or filthy joking. Not even a hint. And so Christian, Faith Community Church, I would argue... I would submit to you that this command, no coarse joking, it actually addresses our choice of entertainment. Which comedians do you watch to get a laugh and go along with? What movies and TV shows do you consume to get a good laugh? Well, let me put it this way, and this is what I've been asking myself this week. Are you willing to have your entertainment choices fall under the lordship of Jesus Christ? Now, let's just all for a moment own the fact that each one of us, at some point, have laughed at a joke we shouldn't have laughed at, we've watched a certain movie we shouldn't have watched, or we've seen certain comedians we shouldn't have seen. Let's just assume we've all done this in the past. I know I have. And instead of trying to justify ourselves or think back, let's just set that beside, okay? That's in the past. Uh, I'm not concerned with what's happened in the past. I'm more concerned with now that you've heard this, now that we know this, how are we going to move forward? Because I promise you, you're going to have to make an entertainment choice later today and later this week. You're going to have an opportunity to laugh with your friends and joke around. What is going to govern your attitude and action in those moments? I 
My prayer is that all of us, myself included, that we would be willing to have our sense of humor and entertainment choices fall under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That is, my greatest concern, your greatest concern would be pleasing God more than watching some show or comedian because I'm afraid I'm going to miss out on something funny. Faith to walk in the light is to renounce sinful practices. Now, I don't need to tell you that this is difficult to do. We live in an overly sexualized and vulgar culture. Indeed, we live in a greedy culture. And you know what? So did the believers in Ephesus. So how can we fight these dark, sinful practices? How can we resist these temptations? Well, I believe Paul answers that question in the very next clause. Look at what he writes in verse 4 there. And tell me if this catches you off guard with what he says. He says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be, I would think he'd say, self-control. Or I thought he'd say, love for mankind. But no, what he says, let there be what? Thanksgiving. Faith, please hear me. This is so important. A choice weapon that God has given us to fight these sinful temptations is gratitude. If we are going to walk in the light, then we must be diligent to render thanks to God. You want to know how you fight and push back these sinful dark practices in your own life? Give thanks to God. Do you remember that scene in, in Raiders of the Lost Ark when Indiana Jones, he's frantically searching for Marion in this busy street when suddenly this giant Arab swordman appears. Remember this? The busy street is immediately become still. And while the street cloud moves out of the way, this giant swordsman with his huge sword, he's twirling all around, threatening Indiana Jones. And honestly, it looks like this is it for Indiana Jones. He's done with it. I mean, here you have this huge swordsman. He's muscular. His sword is sharp, and he's threatening him as he's twirling the sword around. Do you remember what happens next? What, what happens? Yeah, he takes out his roller and he shoots him dead, right? It's one of the most iconic scenes in all of film. Okay. Faith, sexual sin, and covetousness can often seem like a giant sword-wielding villain in our lives, can't they? Indeed, sometimes sexual temptation, greed, lust, these seem like they're impossible to fight. Yet, Christian, in those moments, we must remember that we have a weapon greater than a revolver to slay these giants of darkness, and that is gratitude. Commentator J.L. Holden makes this helpful insight. He writes this. Whereas sexual impurity and covetousness 
both express self-centered acquisitiveness. Thanksgiving is the exact opposite. So the antidote is required. It is the recognition of God's generosity. Faith, if, if you're the note-taking type, I would encourage you to, to write this phrase down, and that is, gratitude is the antidote to every sin. You fight, ladies, you fight coveting a certain body type by praising God for the body he's given you. You fight the greed to want more clothes, a larger home, a nicer car, a better lifestyle by giving thanks for what God has given you. Or, or take a course joking. Let me ask you, when your heart is overflowing with gratitude to God, do you use filthy language or make light of things? No. Gratitude is what you feel when you've been given eyes to see that all of life is the work of a sovereign and gracious God. It's not for trifling, it's not for defiling. Think about how this applies to sexual immorality. You know what is, was really underneath sexual sin? Discontentment towards God's good commands. You are not satisfied with the good and life-giving limits God has put on sex. Indeed, you're not just discontent and greedy for more than what God has allowed. You're not thankful for him and his wise counsel. But what if you were? What if you replaced your greedy sexual lust with gratitude? Gratitude, I want to suggest, is the antidote to every sin. And what I hope to do here is just in the next few moments is open your eyes to see just how prevalent this command to give thanks is in Scripture. The command to give thanks is all over the Bible, and it needs to be all over our lives. I'm just going to give you a few examples. For example, in Ephesians 5.20, just a few verses down, Paul writes, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's pretty all-encompassing there. Or 1 Thessalonians. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know why giving thanks in all circumstances is the will of God for you, Christian? Because it's one of the primary means God has ordained for us to fight sin. And I think it's appropriate for us to ask ourselves, okay, how do I respond? How do you respond when a door of opportunity is closed? How do you respond when you can't obtain the certain lifestyle you crave? 
Christian, do you give thanks for your station in life? Or do you grumble and complain? Here's some of the questions I've been asking myself. Do you see all of life as an undeserved gift? Or do you believe God owes you the life you want? Is your life characterized by gratitude to God or continual discontentment and complaining? Do you give thanks to God in all circumstances? If not, I want to invite you to just examine your heart. Because underneath your lack of gratitude, you know what's underneath your lack of gratitude? It's unbelief. It's unbelief that God is good and he does good. That's what's underneath our discontentment. That's what's underneath our grumbling. This is why we grumble and complain. We don't believe. I don't believe that God is good and does good. You see, faith, gratitude is what you feel when you believe God is for you and not against you. Gratitude is what you feel when you believe that God gives you not only what is good for you, I'm sorry, God gives you only what is good for you and withholds no good thing, whether single or married, with children or without children, employed or unemployed, healthy or sick. Gratitude is what you feel when you trust him and believe that the tragedies of your life are not evidences of his meanness or incompetence, but rather they're the careful pruning of a loving father who values your holiness above your fleeting worldly happiness. Christian, do you believe God is good? If you are struggling with that, if you have doubts in these moments of hardship, I would invite you, friend, to look to the cross of Christ. For you know what we see on the cross of Christ? We see the greatest demonstration of God's love and goodness towards you. Because you see, due to our sin, God owes us judgment. We have earned eternal punishment in hell for our transgression. That is what God owes you. Not a spouse, not a job, not a designer lifestyle, not sexual fulfillment. No, due to your sin, God owes you eternal punishment in hell. Yet, Christian, what has God offered and given you in Christ? In Christ, God has given you forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and adoption as his son or daughter. Amen? And all this is possible because on the cross, Jesus Christ absorbed the punishment you are owed for your sin. And I ask you, what more could God do to prove to you that he's good? Indeed, what more could he do to prove that he is trustworthy? So Christians, see what God has done for you in Christ and give thanks. Indeed, give thanks in all circumstances, believing that God is doing all things for your good 
and his glory. Because giving thanks, rendering thanksgiving to God is how we fight sins of darkness. I love what uh, pastor and author John Piper has said. He says this, Thanksgiving says, in God, I have all that is good for me, and I will not be driven to dishonor the worth of his name just to get a few sexual sensations or a few new toys. So walking in the light means renouncing sinful practices, rendering things to God. And then there's one more thing I want to draw your attention to. And that is you reject deceptive counsel. Because notice what he warns in verses 5 and 7. He says, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, notice he's connecting to the very things in verse 3, sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God in Christ. And then he says this, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Uh, I was at a recent uh, regional pastors meeting, and at that pastors meeting, one of the pastors shared about his experience of caring for a widow in his congregation. And one of the things, as he was caring for this widow, that he said both surprised him and really angered him was how many wicked people tried to deceive this widow into giving them all her money. He couldn't believe how many people were out there that tried to take advantage of these widows, of these women. But here's the thing. The sad reality is, Widows aren't the only ones who are being targeted. As scripture makes clear, there are deceivers in the church who want to lead Christians astray with their empty words. And what are their empty words? What is the deception we need to be aware of? Well, Paul makes it very clear for us in verses 5, 6, and 7. The deception we need to be aware of is that you can be a Christian. You can tell yourself you have the assurance of receiving an inheritance in God while fully engaging in unrepentant sexual immorality and covetousness. <laughs> and see, such deception is all around us. There are self-professing Christians who publish books, who speak at conferences, who blog, who tweet, and who say that it is a sin not to celebrate and embrace those who practice sexual immorality. And their voices are growing louder and louder each day. This is why we've devoted an entire discipleship hour class to what the Bible has to say about sexuality and gender. And we even added an extra week. <laughs> Precisely because there are many deceptive voices out there on this matter. But faith, to walk in the light as, as children of light, 
it means we must reject deceptive counsel. And instead, you know what we need to do? Heed God's warnings. I mean, notice the strong language Paul uses here. Now, to be sure, Paul is not declaring that anyone who commits these sins is excluded from God's heavenly kingdom. But nevertheless, those who persistently give themselves over to such sins, even if they call themselves Christians, demonstrate they are indeed excluded from eternal life. Indeed, they show them to be what? Sons of disobedience. Where have we seen that before? Ephesians chapter 2, which refers to those who are not saved, even though they might profess otherwise. Faith, this is what it means to walk in the light. Renounce sinful practices, render thanks to God, and reject deceptive counsel. There's more that Paul's going to unpack in verses 8 through 14 of what it means to walk in the light. But this morning, I just wanted to focus on these first three. And my prayer is that we would be people who the desires of our hearts and the conduct of our lives would bring glory and honor to God, especially in this dark and dying world. Uh, in a moment here, um, Jamin and Greg are going to come up and lead us in our song of response. And our song of response is really, it's, it's a prayer of confession. And I would invite you, if as we've been looking at this text, if God has revealed that there's some areas of your life that have darkness to them, that you bring that into the light, that you confess that, you receive God's forgiveness, and then by His grace, purpose to walk as children of light. Let's pray.